Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Immersed is the series talking about the three baptisms, and we spent the last two weeks building a case for that. I'm going to review it with you quickly this morning. Uh, the title of today's message is Spirit and Fire, because that is the third baptism uh, that Scripture is talking about. First one I want to bring to your remembrance this morning as we start on this is the Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus. That's the salvation reality, um, and when we get saved, that's what's happening. The Holy Spirit is drawing us to to Jesus, to his work at the cross, and so that is the first thing that happens. If you have that slide, you could just throw them up. You're going to have to run and gun with me this morning. Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus. Here is a verse for you to consider with that, and most of this, for most of you, is probably going to be review. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. All right, but the controversy is that we need to be baptized in Him, not just by Him. Not just indwelled by Him, but totally and continually immersed by Holy Spirit. And just so you know, for the early church, these were not separate concepts. Let me be clear at that. The cessationist theory that has arisen in the church over the past couple hundred years, that God did that back then, but God no longer does that now, I actually believe would shock and appall the apostles, especially Paul. Okay, I'll try it again. Tyler, would you explain to the rest of the church what just happened there? It was a play on words. Thank you, Tyler. The rest of you, uh, read a thesaurus? I don't know. I'm just kidding. Um, It would be appalling to to the apostles, I really believe, that churches today are having discussions, doctrinal arguments, over the three baptisms because it was something that they wrote about. They taught, I really believe that them, it would, they would say, what has happened that these have become different issues or different concepts for the church? When they encountered people who didn't know, they told them, and it happened. I mean, that's the way it went. So this is a new controversy, and I would suggest to you that you're not supposed to, because the Scripture says, don't be caught up in those controversies. Just do what the Bible says, okay? So... Um, And I'm going to show you that later on because there's actually, I actually read the scripture and see that the the apostles kind of seem to assume that the Holy Spirit baptism has happened to believers. And and it's almost like they're surprised that it hasn't happened yet, okay? Uh, So, number, so first, the Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus. Uh, Then the second thing is the disciples baptize us in water. So that's the, that is the baptism or the entrance into the body of Christ. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. Everyone say baptizing them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Water baptism is a sign, but it's much more than a sign, as we've talked about previously. And some relegate this um, only as a sign, uh, only as a sign of you know being dipped in the water and you come out and it's this process and it's this thing you go to. Uh, some doctrines would state that it has a lot more to do with salvation. I don't think that's that's quite right. But at the same time, I think that all three baptisms are necessary for the full deployment or the full development of a follower of Christ. I think that I think that if you it's it's like if you have a you know, I'm a hunter. I, I enjoy good equipment. And it would be like if I have a great rifle and a great scope and great ammunition, and I'm going to go out hunting elk, um, not having an understanding of the three baptisms is like going out there and realizing, oh, you don't have a scope or sights, or you don't have the, the ammunition, or you, or, you, or you have the scope and ammunition, but you didn't even bring your rifle. See, you, you could still be a hunter, but you don't have all the tools that you needed to go hunting. And, and for those of you who need a, a, a town analogy, it's, it's like if, if you're wearing skinny jeans and you go to the mall and you, I, I don't know. I, I just, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't relate that well in the same way. But I think you understand what I'm trying to say to you. It, it's our doctrinal stance as a church, my doctrinal stance, my personal conviction, my corporate conviction for the church is that all three of these baptisms are designed by God for us to bring us to a place of completion. Not making you better than, not making you more holy than, just bringing you to a place where you have access to all the tools that God wants you to use in power in your life. Um, so baptism is a sign of cutting with the flesh. It is a separation, again, as Israel went through the Red Sea, they were cut off from what was chasing them, right? That was a miraculous thing that happened. Ephesians 4 says there is one baptism, and many, many uh, theologians, <coughs> excuse me, have used that to argue against the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
Well, there, there isn't a baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's one baptism. Okay, yeah, the Bible does said that, but we also know that there are three persons in one Godhead. We also know that there are three parts to one human. We also know that even things in nature, like water, H2O, exists in three different states, even though it's all H2O. Best example of the Trinity, by the way, if you, uh, if you ever have to try to explain it to someone. Well, you can't see water, H2O, in all three states at once. Yes, you, at once. Yes, you can. If you boil water and throw it into the air in minus 40, you will see all three states of water at exactly the same time. It's a miracle, okay? Why is that possible? It's because that's, water is created by God, all right? So just, just kind of just let that, let that sit in your head and consider that for a little while. <clears throat> So the issue of the baptism being one, is that's not exactly the case. There are three. Um, you know, even more annoyingly, that same chapter mentions fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. And more often than not, um, those who use Ephesians 4 to justify bad doctrine also ignore the rest of the chapter. So listen, if your doctrine doesn't stick together for the whole counsel of God's word, you need to readjust your doctrine. And, and for all of us who walk with Jesus, that is a continual reality. Don't think for a second because I'm pastoring the church that I have perfect doctrine. That's not the case. But I can tell you one thing. I'm not interested in being swayed by various doctrines because my attention is on the Holy Spirit and what He's trying to teach me. Now, if you would do the same, <clears throat> we could walk together in great joy and have a great time. All right. Uh, the third, now, this is the one, right? This is the hard one for everybody. Jesus wants to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. And my note to go with that little slide is uh, Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Pretty simple. Matthew 3.11 says this. As for me, I baptize. This is John speaking. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. Everyone say repentance. <clears throat> okay, now, understand, this makes it a separate work. Baptism in water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. Now here's the important part. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Everyone say, with the Holy Spirit and fire. Very important. Now even the most ardent Baptist, you would think, would have a hard time arguing with John the Baptist. Although, sometimes we observe that there's still an argument. Um, and we've already talked about the, that baptism, and it, it is related to Pentecost and, and, and speaking in tongues and prophesying and word of knowledge and all the gifts of the Spirit. And, we, and we'll get to that, but for today I want us to take this one step into this last part of immersion that God has for us. So Jesus wants to. Jesus is the one who will baptize you. And now catch this, John, who is John talking to? Well, some people would think, cessationists might say, well, John was saying this to the apostles. Well, the apostles were present, I think. But who else was present? Well, maybe the 120? Yeah, possibly the 120 who followed Jesus and who we, who we read about later on in Scripture. But who else was there? Well, here's the reality. It was a multitude of people. John the Baptist did not say this in the presence of 12 people. He said this in the river when Jesus was about to appear and enter his public ministry to a multitude, people would come by the hundreds, possibly the thousands to John the Baptist to be baptized. He was speaking to a multitude. And by the way, the context of what Jesus will do when he appeared, John proclaims, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right Now, if we're going to try and rob from the words of John the Baptist, we have to read it more this way. And he... You know, John, John is saying that um, he will take away, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the 12, who takes away the sin of the 120, who takes away the sin of the immediate multitude that's gathered here. Right? Context being what it is, interpreting Scripture according to Scripture, we kind of have to leave it there if that's what our doctrine tells us to do, but the Bible doesn't support that doctrine. The Bible says that the Lamb of God comes to take away the sins of the... World. Is that the whole world or just part of the world? Well, I think it's the whole world too. Look how good we agree. So we run into a problem when we chop Scripture up that way, which is usually our problem. And it gets to be like, uh, like being the kid trying to divide candy fairly, or if my boys have to divide a piece of meat fairly. It's one of the most painful pro pro uh, processes you're ever going to see in a family. It really is. It's, it, it's like they call witnesses 
They have lawyers present. They make sure the knife is sharpened evenly on both sides so that when it drops through that piece of steak, it's not like we don't have a freezer full of of elk and beef or whatever else, but that steak is all that matters and it must be fair, right? We get that way about Scripture. And I think the way we get about it is because we're actually stingy about what God has for us. Now, I'm not saying my boys are stingy. They're actually very generous. But when it comes to the last steak at supper time, they are actually quite stingy. Right? I mean, they fight over the bone. They'll fight over the fat. They'll fight over, the, they'll fight over who gets to dip the garlic bread in the juice in the, in, the, in the thing that was holding the steak at the table. Right? That's how it works with, with kids. And I was also that way. Let's be honest. I'm still that way. There we go. Honesty is virtuous, right? Um, so th- but that's the problem is we get stingy. And what we, re- what we get thinking is, is we're talking about doctrine. It makes us uncomfortable. And suddenly we switch to this ideology that somehow God doesn't have more steak. God doesn't have more bread. God doesn't have more. You just imagine whatever it is you want to eat in the presence of God. And that's absolutely crazy that we think that way. Well, what I have from God is the best it's ever going to be. No! What you have, you should be content with, but always understand that you ought to be contending for more because God has more he wants to give. God has more, God has more he wants to bless you with. I mean, Brian Volkers right now is understanding that in a whole new way in the presence of Jesus. Right? Whatever the, settle, whatever the settling was for on earth is paling drastically in comparison. So God has more stake for you than you thought, so stop dividing it the wrong way. Make sure everybody else's plate is full and get your own plate full too. There's plenty to go around. Can we say amen to that? Thank you. Okay. Here's my, here's my, here's my beef. I don't want to come across as becoming jaded or cynical. No offense, Jade. Um, but uh, it's not that people are always bad at theology. It's just they really suck at grammar sometimes. And, and and I hear Tora laughing because Tora is Tora is the greatest human proofreader I know. Actually, she's she's a professional. Actually, uh, so you can't say these two things when when John is talking when Jesus so that you can't say they're the same because they have different subjects. One is the Holy Spirit who does the baptizing, and the other is Jesus who also does the baptizing. Right? We, we've read that. In one case, Holy Spirit is baptizing. In one case, Jesus is baptizing. Different things. We also know because of last Sunday that there's this place where the body of Christ is doing the baptizing. All right? We got to consider that. We got to be open to what the scripture is actually saying. And when we understand that there are two different or three different subjects in three different places, they can't be the same. But they can come from the same place. Even if you argue saying the oneness of the Trinity means there's one baptism, I'll agree with you, but you're still wrong. See what I'm saying? It is both and, because it can be with him. It's like this. If I was at a party and my friend John introduces me to Bob, I'm going to say, hi, it's nice to see you, Bob. My friend John said I should meet you. And we're going to start talking to Bob. And then Bob tells me some things about John that maybe I didn't know. So my introduction and my knowledge of one comes from the other. Very simple. That's how it works. Every one of your relationships actually functions that way. Let me ask you this. Why would your relationship with God function any different? Well, I only listen to so-and-so. Now, that's fine if you're only listening to me. I'm just kidding. Don't only listen to me. But don't you dare go and, go and get in one doctrinal stream because I can tell you from 20 years in the ministry that it will lead you to places that are unhappy, unfulfilling, and broken because God is so much bigger than your one stream. The only one stream we need to worry about, guys, is that all roads must lead to Jesus because he is the only way to the Father. That's all I'm going to say about that. All right, so Holy Spirit, here's how it works in, in, in the spiritual reality of my relationship with God. The Holy Spirit draws me to, introduces me to Jesus, and then Jesus wants to introduce me to the Holy Spirit. Because when we are unaware of the Holy Spirit, we don't realize he's the one drawing us to him. Jesus does introduce us again to the Father, just so you know. Um, so if we're thinking about this right... Or sorry, we're not thinking about it right if we try to convince ourselves that these are the same things because the subjects are different, the persons are different, even though they are one. This is one difference between 
Um, this is the difference between the of and in or with. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism in or with the Holy Spirit. And so this is the baptism of the Spirit. Pentecostals got to get this right. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is kind of like when you get saved because the Holy Spirit is actually baptizing you into Jesus. Someone say, baptized into Jesus. Okay, that's, that's soteriology 101. The, the person that's saving you is the Jesus. His shed blood. Okay, that's what covers your sin. That, and, it, and it is a baptism as well, right? It's a baptism. It's a dipping in the atonement. Um, so we got to get it right. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, remember it said, baptism of the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, the of the with. Baptism or immersion in the Holy Spirit is what Jesus gives us when we get saved. The Holy Spirit does, in fact, indwell you when you become a Christian. But how many of you know there's something different, uh, there's a difference between having something inside of you or having something all over you, okay? One is, uh, oh, the word's escaping right now. One is immersed, that's the outside, and one is ingested. And you should do both. You should ingest the Holy Spirit. He should be inside of you, but you also need to be covered in the Holy Spirit, all right? Um, th- this, is, this is the reality. So you want to know something funny is many people work up the doctrine that they have because they're afraid of the Holy Spirit part. They only want to stick to Jesus. And I think they want to stick to Jesus because he's about 2,000 years away in the flesh. Right? It's really easy to follow Jesus if you never have to see him. And this is the world we live in right now. Let me just say this, a little off track, but what we are seeing in the world right now with COVID and people's fearful response to it in the church, outside of the church, I am seeing a very clear line being drawn between those who admire Jesus Christ and those who are actually willing to follow Jesus Christ. Huge difference. There is a line forming. There is a separation that is happening. And my friends, you want to be on the side of the line that is actually following Jesus, not simply admiring him. Now, he is worthy of admiration, let me tell you. But he didn't ask you. He didn't ask his disciples. He doesn't ask anyone to follow him in admiration. Come and admire me. I will make you fishers of men. Sadly, that's the gospel a lot of people believe in. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, come and follow me. Be my follower. Be my disciple. Be my little minion that I can send to do whatever I need in the earth. Really glorious sounding, I know. But that's what it is. And I count it the greatest joy and privilege of my life to be able to serve him. So a lot, of us, a lot of us work up that doctrine, work up our theology because we're afraid of the Holy Spirit. But we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Matthew 3.11, and we're going to look at the other Gospels because it's really important because there are very, very few things that we see in Scripture as patterns or principles that happen in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke recorded by, uh, was recorded only in the last, uh, or the, maybe even the third year of Jesus' ministry. And they all start after the beheading of John the Baptist. The Gospel of John is different because it is written well after the other three, but covers the first two years of Jesus' ministry. Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic Gospels because of those similarities. And John is kind of the standoff Gospel. But there are some things that are in all four. The birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's important. In this, we see, by the way, the birth, death, and resurrection. Three parts, three baptisms, once again. I just want to zip through the synoptics with you. Mark, Luke, and John, uh, here's what they say. Mark 1, 7, 8, and he was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke three sixteen. John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John 1.33, I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. All four Gospels talk about Jesus coming to baptize in the Holy Spirit. What do you do with that? If I may, you put your faith in it. 
Well, I don't want to. I know you don't want to. That's why you're where you are. But you see, you put your faith in Jesus for his atonement. You put your faith in Jesus. You put your faith in his body when you let us dunk you in the water. How'd that go for Matthias last week? I mean, a little bit of the top of his head was wet. And Carlisle and I, because we're one in spirit and we love Jesus, we knew. Dunk that boy all the way down. He may have sucked in a little bit of water in the process, but he's okay. And I think he still trusts us. I hope. You put your faith in Jesus to be saved. You put your faith in Jesus to be baptized. So let me ask you, why on earth would you stop putting your faith in Jesus, even though I'm showing you scripturally over and over again that Jesus says he wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit? Why? The, yeah, come on, why? It doesn't make any sense, does it? Does it make any sense to you? Nope. Guys, what does the scripture say? If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need to become like a little child. Because they think it's dumb that grown-ups mess that up. It's simple. Why would we complicate it? You're complicating it because you're more in love with your comfort than you are with Jesus. Okay. Let me break it down a little further for you. Is Jesus our example? Somebody else say yes, please. Not just my mom and my wife. Is Jesus our example? The whole church should say, thank you. The whole, okay, good. I, that gives me hope that the last 17 years of our life has not been wasted. Okay, yes, of course, Jesus is our example. Did Jesus have the three baptisms? Good. I, I believe some of you are saying that just because you assume it's the right answer, but you're right. Jesus does have the three. Now, let's break it down together. So the first question, if Jesus needed the first baptism, what does that say? Did Jesus need to be saved? Was Jesus saved? So Jesus did not need to be saved, but here's something cool. His name literally means salvation. Cool. God saves. Uh, okay, but that's fine for him. <laughs> but what about that relation to us? The Bible says that when we are saved, we are born again as children of God, and we are actually born again as, the, as perfect children of God. We're holy children of God. We are made right with him. Not perfect in our performance, but perfect in our position. Okay? That's the great thing about salvation, placing our faith in Jesus. Positionally, we become perfect right where God wants us, totally restored from sin. Now, we don't always maintain that very well for very long, but that's another conversation maybe for the future. Now, we're actually born again as the perfectly positioned children of God by the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father, knowing that who the Lord loves, he disciplines all the benefits and, and the blessings of sonship go with it. It's a really wonderful thing. Um, so because of what Jesus did, who was born perfectly and who lived perfectly, um, now, remember this also. Jesus is referred to in uh, 1 Corinthians 15.45 as the second or also known as the last Adam. And you see, sin entered the world through one man whose name was Adam. Adam was not actually born into sin. Adam, by a decision of his will, sinned. Now, whether he truly had a free will choice in that because of God's planning, let's not worry about that so much. The fact of the matter is that Adam, Adam was born, and, and he came to the place where he could choose this or he could choose that. He chose to go directly against God's ordinance. He sinned. All right, so Adam, for all of us, thanks a lot, Adam, fell. And because of Adam, mankind, from that point on, is born into sin. So Jesus, then, is not born the way we are, right? Jesus was born, first of all, by, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary, and he was born, then, into this broken, messed up world, identifying with every weakness we could possibly have, yet he was without sin. And something amazing happens when Jesus goes to the cross, takes our sin, takes our sickness, bears our reproach and our shame, as it says in the book of Isaiah, and then he is raised again. Jesus, at that point, becomes known as the second Adam. See, Jesus in his resurrection stands in the gap for all of us who need to be born again. He didn't need to be born again because he stayed perfect throughout the whole process. Even carrying the sins of the world on his shoulders, Jesus stayed who he was. It's amazing. 
But Jesus becomes the second Adam. And because of that, we are born again through Jesus, whose name means salvation, into right standing with God. Jesus, was he born again? Well, he is really the act of being a born again, being born again for all of us by his very nature. And the Holy Spirit draws us to that and gives us that new nature, the nature of Jesus. Okay? That is the work of salvation as it needs to apply to our conversation today. Question two, was Jesus water baptized? Yes, thank you. Okay. It bothers me a little that only seven or eight people said yes to that. But uh, question, I'll just ask again. Question two, was Jesus water baptized? Yes. Yeah, okay, good, because we read it just a few moments ago. Um, all right, now here's the third question. Was Jesus spirit baptized? Okay, good. Again, most of you either know this or are hoping it's the right answer because you don't want to bear under my wrath. I'm really not as grouchy as I look. I can't help this crease in my forehead. It's there from being outside and maybe showed up when daughters entered my I can't remember. All right. Some say Jesus was never spirit baptized. That's just not true. It's not true. And they have reasons for why they say that, which I'm going to talk about now. When Jesus came up out of the water after being baptized, something amazing happened. Let's read about it together. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, listen. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Now, because of some of the translations we like to use for the Bible, you got to understand grammar. Let me read it for you the way it should probably make sense in your mind. After being baptized, Jesus came up from the water, and immediately the heavens were opened. Okay, so this, this happened in rapid succession. We need to understand that. But I love how the Scripture is written to give pause and give us time to think about what happens, right? After being baptized, comma, pause. Consider that. Jesus came up immediately from the water, semicolon, and behold, behold, my kids, my son Jake and especially, all week long now, Father, behold, I am hanging my hat. Father, behold, my socks are picked up from the, I mean, it's been crazy. But hey, change is good. Thank you, Lord, for change, right? Um, so the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, this is my beloved son. Now listen, the Spirit descended like a dove. Somebody say like. Like a dove. Now the problem maybe with our world today and our generation is we use the word like for like everything. Like, you know what I mean? Like for really. Like for real. Like, 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 like. And so it causes us some confusion, I think, when we kind of run on and run through a thought. But it's really important. The word like or as is important because it's a simile. And you could take this out of the sentence and the subject wouldn't change because the subject is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the subject like a dove is the simile, not the other way around. And many people interpret it the other way around. You've maybe even seen a religious painting or piece of art at some point in time where Jesus is in the river and John the Baptist is there and there's literally a dove coming down to light upon the shoulder of Jesus. And I, I feel like that, remember that little theme song from like the Smurfs? And I think it was written by Beethoven or Mozart or Bach or someone. do 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 that's not what happened. I don't know if you have ever seen a pigeon or a dove light on something. It is not beautiful and pretty, first of all. But it doesn't matter because it's the Holy Spirit, the subject, the dove is the simile, the dove is the image. But the Holy Spirit did not appear as a dove and land on Jesus. It's actually not what the Bible says. So they would say, those who don't want to acknowledge this moment in history that changes our future, they would say a dove like the Spirit descended on Jesus. Terrible grammar. You cannot change the subject in the sentence and have it mean the same thing. The subject stays the subject. The subject is who? The Holy Spirit. 
And so it's the Holy Spirit that descended on Jesus. Not, not literally like a dove. The Holy Spirit didn't flutter down and light upon the shoulder of Jesus. Let me ask you through all of Scripture, because you need to draw on the rest of Scripture to understand the imagery of what God is doing. When the Holy Spirit showed up in the Old Testament in the tent of meeting at the tabernacle, how did it happen? A cloud descended from heaven and covered the mountain. A cloud descended from heaven and covered the tent of meeting. In the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit appears, it's not a, it's not a flock of a thousand doves coming into the upper room. It's a mighty rushing wind. Have you ever stood out in the wind before? Yeah, you're from Grand Prairie, Alberta. For sure you have stood out in the wind before. Do you understand the concept that wind immerses you when you stand in it? And I know we think of immersed and wet, but it's not always that. We are immersed in air all the time. We are immersed, if you like engines, you're immersed in car exhaust sometimes. I know Lauren likes to be immersed in the two-stroke smoke. Yeah, he says. Especially on Polaris vehicles because they're extra smoky. Yeah, that's right. Guys, the Holy Spirit didn't flutter. He didn't flock. He descended on Jesus. And I can't help but believe he showed up the way he always shows up. The glory of the Lord like a cloud accompanied for the record by a voice from heaven that as I read Scripture, presumably everyone else could hear. There are some who would relegate this to a vision that someone had. It's not. This happened. I say all that to help you understand that Jesus himself in the flesh wanted to be immersed in the Holy Spirit of God. Because he had an important and difficult job ahead of him. And let me just say, if Jesus needed the person of the Holy Spirit, how much more do you and I need him? This is the pattern of Scripture with regard to the Holy Spirit and baptism. Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, repent. Each, uh, for some reason, all of a sudden, Peter became a southern gospel preacher. Repent, and each one of you be baptized. Each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, okay, Pastor Trav, I'm okay with gifts. I mean, I like presents. Who doesn't like presents? It's okay. I'm totally willing to go with you on this part of the journey. Good, I'm glad you are. Repent, be saved, be baptized. That would be water. And then what's the third baptism again? We'll receive the Holy Spirit. Well, you said the gift of the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit wants to give me gifts. Yes, he wants to give you gifts. But you see, he himself is the gift that Jesus wants to give you. Who will bring you more gifts? Who doesn't like gifts? Good. Nobody put up their hand. So, if the Holy Spirit is a gift whose job it is to give you wisdom and give you more gifts, why not receive what he has for you? Um. Some would say the gift of the Holy Spirit is the salvation and not the baptism. Well, I know. The gift of God is eternal life. Anyways, we spent three weeks helping you see that there are three together. And so at this point in time, I want to remind you, if there are three together everywhere else we've been talking, and I just show you three together here, why would it suddenly change? Your, your doctrine isn't lining up with what with what we have established in God's Word. And your doctrine does need to line up with what is established by the Word of God. Acts 8, 12, But when they believed, Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized men and women alike. Now the Bible stopped there, so you do your little victory dance saying, Ah, it didn't say baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm not done reading yet. Acts chapter 8 Verses 14 to 17. Just a few more sentences down. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Wait, 
Jerusalem and Samaria had received the word of God. That means there were now Christians, followers of Jesus, in Samaria. So they sent two apostles down there who came and prayed that they might then receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Well, yeah, that's receiving the Holy Spirit, Pastor Trav, not baptizing the Holy Spirit. Once again, I submit for your wise consideration. Why would it suddenly change when the three baptisms are together over and over and over again, and suddenly we got to double down on one extra baptism being in water? What did it say? They came and prayed that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Water baptized. And we know that the gospel came to them, so they already were saved by Jesus. But now the third. They laid their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Acts 19.1, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, what? No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Guys, this is like so many people who are following Jesus today. Right? Right? They, They... You can find followers of Jesus all over the place who are following Jesus. They love Jesus. They are not just admirers. They are true followers of Jesus. And yeah, they've been water baptized, many of them. And that's great. And they should be water baptized, all of them. But there are many today who still would say, "What's a, we've only been ever told that Holy Spirit is weird Pentecostal stuff. We've only been told that's for charismatics, and the last thing I am is charismatic. Once again, your doctrine is being informed far more by culture than it is by Scripture. I'm sorry that there have been weird Pentecostals who have made this confusing for people. I'm sorry if I was ever one of those weird Pentecostals that made it difficult for you. Truly. I'm sorry if some charismatic, some Bapticostal, some Unitecostal, some Lutherocostal, some, believe it or not, Catholicostal. Isn't that weird that in every denomination there is a history of Holy Spirit baptism if you're willing to study history? Because God does not let this conversation die ever. He preserves it in the remnant of his people because he wants his sons and daughters to be walking in completion as they are doing his work, his will, as they are being perfected and made holy day after day. Paul the Apostle, greatest theologians of all time, saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, had that huge transformation, is asking the question that destroys the myth of the Christian world. Well, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Acts 19, verse 13. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism, which was for what? Sin. Water for sin, right? Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is Jesus. When they heard this, they were all baptized then into the name of the Lord Jesus. So they had been, under, understand again, there's the three baptisms are right here. They're baptized. It's like someone who gets water baptized and then realizes that they need salvation almost. That's almost what you see here. Now, I'm not arguing the legitimacy of their salvation by any means. I think it's clear they have faith in Jesus. It's just interesting that right away again they're like, oh, okay, well, we want to get baptized into the name of Jesus. They wanted to be a member of the body of Christ. They wanted to do what was right as the example that Christ had set. They wanted to do what the apostles were teaching them. Because remember, the apostles were coming under the influence of the commission which said to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand how this comes together in the Word of God over and over and over and over again. And if you would just reject your religion and read God's Word again for the first time, if you would just hear with fresh ears what your pastor is teaching you this morning and what great men and women of God who have taught through all the centuries continue to teach... That there is something more for you. 
Paul then laid his hands upon them, and the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking with tongues and prophesying, and there were in all about 12 men. And the cessationists right away say, Ah, oh, see, it was only for those 12. No. That was just those 12. Guys, people who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit are like a plague of goodness. They spread. They get excited. They activate others. Some people would like to say that the Holy Spirit thing only happened in the book of Acts, specifically in chapter 2, but that's entirely false. It happened in, the cha- in chapter 8 of Acts. It happened in chapter 10 of Acts. And as we just read, it happened in chapter 19 of Acts. If it was a then and then only, this cannot be true. So Scripture has to be right, right? Well, why, why would I make an issue of this? Because you need to understand that Acts chapter 8 was probably about five years after Pentecost. Five years. Okay? Acts chapter 10, about the Gentiles receiving, that happened, they think, about ten years after Pentecost. And Acts 19 happened 25 years after Pentecost. 25 years later, same message, same people trying to follow Jesus were in the earth, saying things like, huh, hadn't even heard. Can you catch this for a second? 25 years after Pentecost, the baptism that John was doing was well before that. 120 days plus at least three years. I might be wrong on the number of days, but three plus years. When John was baptizing, so 28 years later, there are believers who have only ever been baptized and only ever have the faith of repentance under John the Baptist. Isn't that interesting? And immediately they say, okay, well, we're going to get baptized into the name of Jesus because we see that that's valuable. Can you just see how amazing this is 25 years later as God begins by His Spirit to put the pieces together for these followers of Christ? And don't think for a second, church, that God doesn't want to do that exact same thing for you and I. It doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus. You might be sitting in church or watching online this morning saying, I've never heard of this before, and it's freaking me out a little bit. I think that 25 years after Pentecost, after Jesus had left to send it to heaven, these guys probably were like, what? There's more? Just like you and I would be. I want to just show you a couple more verses, and we're going to close. 1 John 5, 7. Chapter 5, verse 7. For there, are at least, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Yep, we all agree with that. That's the Trinity, right? And there are three that bear witness in the earth. So one is in heaven, the Father, the, the Word, or the Son. Jesus was the Word, became flesh, John chapter 1. Um, and these three are one, and there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. The three in heaven... Three on earth. Three baptisms on earth. First John 5, 7, 8. In another translation, for there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. What do they testify to? Well, they testify to the supernatural. They testify to the completion of what God wants to do in the life of every believer. When you get saved, you become a new person. When you get water baptized, you are cut off from the old person. He's dead in the water. The thing that held you in bondage, the thing that was your captor, stays buried in the waters of baptism like the armies of Pharaoh were buried in Israel's baptism in the Red Sea. Are you, are you sticking with me? It's very important that you stick with me because there are many who would say you don't need the Holy Spirit in your life and they are lying to you whether they know it or not. This is not an accident that three baptisms occur all through Scripture. It's not an accident. I'm not stretching and pulling and tugging on the corners of doctrine to try and make these come together. It's laid out right in front of you supernaturally in the Logos Word of God and in the Rhema Word of God. When you get spirit baptized, you are baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, when he came up from the baptism in water, was endowed in his human flesh, his humanity, with the fullness 
of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And he needed that. He needed that in his life. He chose to want it. And I submit to you again, how can you and I think we can get through life with anything less than what Jesus decided he needed? I mean, come on. See, it's a complete work that God wants to give us. I'm going to keep saying it again and again. Guys, there's a complete work that God wants to do in your life. He doesn't want you to to walk into this world unprepared tomorrow. He wants you to walk in the fullness of who he is, and he wants to walk in your life in the fullness of who you are because you are fearfully and wonderfully made in his image for good works that he predestined before you were ever even a twinkle in your daddy's eye. All you need to get to heaven is to get saved, right? Yeah, that's true. And if that were enough to make life fulfilling, it would be worth it for sure. But why stop when God says there's more? Why stop when God says there's more? Believe like the thief on the cross, you'll be saved. Lord Jesus, remember me. I'm a sinner. I have failed. I've got it wrong. I need you thief on the cross said, remember me, Lord, when you enter your kingdom. That was his statement of faith and submission to Jesus. His acknowledgement that Jesus had done nothing wrong to be hanging there. Some of you still need to get water baptized in this church. I I hope it's uncomfortable for you. In the same way that if I'm going to surprise my wife or kids with a great gift, that I love to see them be uncomfortable not knowing, knowing that when the surprise is revealed, the joy is going to be amazing. I hope you're uncomfortable because there's something miraculous that can happen to you when you let the body of Christ, when you let Jesus lead you to the waters of baptism, when you go down and when you are brought back up, your captors are buried. You know, you might have an addiction in your life that could be broken in baptism. Just saying. And I think that, well, most of you, probably all of you, even watching online this morning, have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I think that many of you have been water baptized and have that component realized in your person as a creation of God. I think that there are probably many who actually need Jesus to baptize them in the Holy Spirit. Think about it. Maybe this is one of the reasons why the church is defeated and powerless. Maybe because so much of the church is only walking in the shadow of the power that God wants to put in our lives. Maybe that's why, maybe that's why we have such a hard time discerning what to do in these days. I don't know how to explain it to people. When they come to argue doctrine with me, I have a hard time explaining to them that while I care about them and while I care about their process and what they're thinking about, and I've really been spending time thinking about this. Guys, here's the reality. I am baptized by Jesus in the Holy Spirit. And I'm sorry, I can't help but acknowledge first what the Spirit of God is saying to me. And so many things that people say, so many opinions that I read, they never even make it through the filter of the Holy Spirit in my life. And you might look at me in those moments and think, Trav, you're a real jerk. You're not even listening to what I'm saying. No, I'm listening to you, but there is a voice in my life, in my mind, in my heart, in my person that is much louder and always more right than yours. Well, you're just saying that because you think it makes you better. It doesn't make me better than you. Most days in my life, it makes me miserable because the Holy Spirit is my friend who constantly reminds me how badly I need the grace and mercy of Jesus in my life. And as much as that sucks, it's still the best thing that happens. And if you don't understand that, it tells me even more, you need Jesus to baptize you in his spirit. First Corinthians 10, 11, moreover, brethren, I would not that you miss or you be ignorant, read this last Sunday, that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and they all did eat 
the same spiritual meat, and they all did drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. If you remember the first Sunday we started talking about this, why don't, worship team, why don't you guys come? I'm just, I'm just trying to sew this pillowcase or whatever it is back up. If you remember, we talked two weeks ago about the amazing reality that Israel faced when they left captivity. They were delivered from the hand of Pharaoh, delivered from slavery, and they get out into liberty, into freedom, into the wilderness was the concept I gave you. And in the wilderness, they weren't too sure where to go, but the first place they encountered was the Red Sea, and it was an obstacle. And God puts an obstacle of baptism in your life today. He's delivered you, but now he wants you to become one, to become unified with his body, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus, of which Christ is the head. And after they came through there, their chains were gone. The oppressor was buried and killed in the sea. And now they're standing there, and it's only a three-day journey to the promised land if they walk hard. But they waited 40 years to get there. We just read that they ate the spiritual meat, they drank from the spiritual drink, and they drank from that spiritual rock. Jesus was present with them, leading them, guiding them. The Spirit of God would come and, and meet with them in the tabernacle. The Spirit of God would lead them by day as a pillar of cloud and by night as a pillar of fire. And some of them still got lost in the wilderness. I just want to submit to you that many are getting lost in this wilderness today because while they have been delivered and saved and while they have been baptized in water, they are unyielding to the Holy Spirit who wants to lead them through the wilderness that's in front of them starting right now. Did you see the three baptisms there again, by the way? I hope so. In the tabernacle, in the Old Testament... This is in the one last picture, and we're going to close. There were three things you had to do before you could enter the most holy place. The center of the tabernacle, where the Ark of the Covenants, where the presence of God was physically dwelling in a day when the presence of God didn't physically dwell in the earth. It just, it came. He would come and he would go. There was no permanent home for him because he was not yet permanently living in the hearts of men and women. So in the tabernacle, three things you had to do. And God told Moses, he, God, God showed Moses, by the way. God showed Moses, I will show you. It's Exodus 25, 9. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. I believe that God literally showed Moses the pattern. And Moses was sitting there, I don't know for how long, hours, days, who knows, taking notes and writing and drawing what God showed him so he could take it back and have the people build it. But here's what happened. When you entered, when the priest entered the tabernacle, you entered towards the altar where they shed the blood, where they took the sacrifice, where they killed it, and they shed the blood on the altar and they offered the sacrifice. And then, as you proceeded towards the most holy place, you would encounter something that in the, in the Old Testament is called the laver. And what the laver was is a wash basin. A wash basin where you were washed ceremonially, symbolically, with clean water. This is all Old Testament. And then after you had been washed with water, there was a flask that the priestly assistants or the, or the other priests would then anoint you with oil. And then you could proceed on to the holy place. Guys, it was there then and it's here now. Jesus wants his church baptized in the Holy Spirit immersed in the Holy Spirit, not just filled with the Holy Spirit. God's inviting you not just to eat His Word and live, which we all must do. But God's, the best picture I can think of is God's inviting you to swim in His presence every day. To dive in, 
to get dunked. God's inviting. He will come and baptize you, it said, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. God is not asking you to come and have a little flicker, a little bit lighter in your heart. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's, that's not the way it's supposed to work. God is in the business of creating human torches who are lit with the fire and the passion and the zeal of God's heart for this world. And guys, anything less than that is not the complete work that Jesus did for you. Anything less than that is not the complete power that he wants you to walk in. Anything less than that is not bearing with the image that he is and the image he created you in because he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are body, soul, and spirit. And there's a baptism here now for each part of you because of each part of him. What's the next step? Well, if I can just make it this simple for you. Holy Spirit drew you and you asked, someone say ask, you asked Jesus to save you. And then in the process of time, hopefully, you realize, man, I really should be baptized in water. And so, so what you you asked someone to baptize you in water. See where I'm going. Right? Did you ask? I asked. Every person that's been baptized in this church has asked to be baptized in water. The three being what they are, and the three being the same every time, I think you understand what I'm gonna say to you next. When it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, now that you know there is a baptism in, with the Holy Spirit that Jesus wants to perform on you, you need to ask Jesus to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And the pattern that we see in the New Testament is that with that, the leaders, the apostles, the spiritual fathers and mothers would lay hands on people and pray with them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus wanted to give. Now I know some of you, because of church history and doctrine that you already possess, might be running on to other things, but I just want to say, let's leave that for another conversation so as not to complicate the simple thing that Jesus is saying to us right now. And today, if you're willing to ask, you can experience the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus doesn't just want you to partake of the Spirit, to ingest the Spirit, but to literally be swimming in the Spirit. I want to invite you all to stand. We're going to sing this last song. Folks at home, right now in your living room, the same Spirit of God is there. And the same presence of Jesus is there. Now it probably feels a little different. i got to say, this feels much better than screens. Right now, we're going to pray together and we're going to ask. And if you're at home, if you're stuck at home, you know what? If you're stuck at home today and your spouse is baptized with the Holy Spirit, then they should lay hands on you. For the folks here, we're all going to ask this morning, if you want. I can't force you to do this, but you should. You really should ask for what Jesus has. We're going to pray together. You're going to have the opportunity to ask for that baptism. And then... I'm going to ask you to have the courage to come forward today so that we can place our hands on you, well sanitized, well pleased, masked if you need it to be. That's all good. But guys, there's a significant spiritual reality in the laying on of hands all through Scripture. So I'm going to pray. Would you pray after me? Let's start this way. Jesus, I want to thank you for the power that you have to raise me to life, to make me a new creation. And now, Lord, because of your word, I want to ask you to baptize me in your Holy Spirit right now. Amen. Some of you are waiting for something different to happen. Your next step would be to come and let us lay hands on you. 
the prayer team is going to come. We're going to sing this song. Don't let this moment, I know I went a little long, but I, I had eight pages of notes, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching thousands of years of doctrine in one Sunday morning. So I hope you'll forgive that and enjoy the presence of God while we have it here right now. Lord, I pray that you would fill every heart with courage now to respond to you as your spirit is leading. Lord, because when we ask anything in your name, you told us we would receive it. So Lord, now that we have asked for your baptism in the Holy Spirit today, in your name, we receive it in your power. Give us the courage to respond rightly to how you lead now, Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.